Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Way, but uh, yeah, we're, we're safe and sound here, so we love you guys, and um, man, it just feels like we were away last weekend ministering uh, at a church called Fellowship of the Beloved near Youngstown, uh, Nicole and I and the girls, and uh, we had a great time there, but we dearly missed you. Like, there is no place like home. I, I enjoy the opportunity and the privilege to speak out, and I limit that to about once a month, once every other month, but, um, but I, there is no place like home, and we miss one week here. It feels like it's been forever since I've seen you. So, uh, and I saw Lisa driving down the interstate two days ago. So you guys are back too. So yeah, we're, we're cruising down near Springfield, and we look over, and it's Kevin and Lisa and Gracie. We're like, ho, ho, ho! And I think she was like half asleep. She sits up, and, and then we're trying to call them. But anyway, that's fun. I'm glad to see you here. Um, Let's continue this, and I'm just going to recap just the series and, and what it is. It's called Every, and um, really the context and the scripture base behind it is Acts 2, 42 uh, through around 47, 48, and it's talking about where, um, where the first church after Pentecost, where, where once Jesus had ascended, had, he had risen from the dead and resurrected, and now he says, now go wait. Uh, and he's promised his Holy Spirit to be a comforter and guide. He said, I'm going to pour it out, right? So they go to the upper room, and they're waiting. And in that, in that place is where it says they came together in one mind, one accord. It says they, they sold everything, and they devoted themselves to the teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread. It says that then they met daily in the tabernacle and house to house. And it said they lived in generosity, they, they, they were filled of joy, right? And I'm just paraphrasing this context for the sake of time. But then it goes on to say that, you know, then it says thousands or it says many were added to them daily. So, so the context for the series was every table, every house, every church, and every community. So what we're getting at here is, if you could picture, like, I can't minister to you, and even there's some context in scripture that say this, when you do good with little, much is given. You know, if, if you can't rule in your own home, you can't rule in the kingdom. So there's all these contexts for me in my walk that says, listen, I actually got to get my heart right with God. Then I can bring that into my marriage. Then when our marriage is solid and we're healthy together, worshiping, praying together, and we are solid in Christ together as a couple, now we can be great parents. Now that dinner table changes. And then our home changes because now there's an ecosystem an environment of God's love, of his power, of his presence, of his worship. Every morning, Nicole, before she takes the kids to school, she has worship on, on YouTube, just scrolling through over and over for an hour. She's got this cultivating in our house every single morning. And then when we get home at night, we, we do the similar thing and we worship together. Listen, I don't believe that I can bring you something that I don't have in my home. Otherwise... I'd just be a phony and a fake up here saying, well, we need to live like this. We need to pursue his presence. But the reality is if I'm not doing that in my personal walk, if I'm not doing that at my dinner table at home or in my house, how can I possibly be responsible to bring this to you as a congregation? So then it flows into every church. And, and what I mean by that is it is not just about our building. It's not just about upper room. It's not just about our walls. It's about the bride of Christ. You are the church. 
You are the church, and it doesn't matter where, where people worship. We're not, we're not stuck on this thing that we're the only right ones. Listen, we, we get to travel around, and some of my best friends in the area in Troy are, are Baptist pastors, you know, are Methodist pastors, and, and I value what they're carrying. I value what they're doing, you know, and they value what I'm doing, and they value what we have here, and it's not a competition. This thing is not a competition to see who can grow the largest church. It's actually how can we work together to transform a region for Christ that the entire nation can be saved. The entire world can be saved. So then it trickles into every community. Because if every church is actually pursuing his presence rather than programs, we might actually get somewhere as a bride. I said a couple of weeks ago, my, one of my theories is the reason the Lord hasn't returned for his bride yet is because she's not plump and unified yet enough. She's not big enough. We've still got too many unsafe family members, too many things going on in our communities. And I feel the bigger thing is we can't agree as a bride of, of what to do and actually just embrace the big C church and the big C Christ. We're so worried about how often we do communion and, and how do we baptize and all these things when the reality is like Jesus Christ came to the earth for us. He was crucified so that we could have eternal life. And he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Rose again is sitting with the Father. And now welcoming us into a family for eternity. Like we can all agree on that. And I'm not saying that I agree with churches if they're not preaching the word. Or I do believe there's some bad doctrines that I've met some people. And you know not believing that there's a literal hell and things like that. I, I don't agree with that. If it's in the word, we, we believe it and we can agree. If they're preaching things that aren't in the word, then, then I create healthy boundaries. Still love them, but I create healthy boundaries. So that's the context of this series. So last week, we, you know, a couple of weeks, we started off the week every table. And we talked about that. And this is all on our website. It's on our podcast. It's on our Vimeo channel, YouTube channel, Facebook page. Like, you can totally have access to this, all right? But for the sake of today, last week, Josh talked on every house, and he launched that series. And I'll just be honest. It was so good, I listened to it twice. And because the first time I listened to it, one and a half speed. And I was like, wait, I didn't catch everything while I'm driving. So on my way back from a place I was ministering at this week, I listened to it again, and those last 19 minutes was that sweet spot of the bat. You know, he talks about the ecosystem and he talks about taking a boiling pot of water and putting that in the fridge and expecting it to change the environment when the fridge is plugged in. Like we, are, we have this boiling pot of water and when we leave church on Sunday, we can't just expect it to continue to boil if we just set it on a stand somewhere. If we just, it's like burying your talents. Like God wants us to actually invest that, continue to be filled with his spirit and pour out on people. Not the boiling water, please but our cup running over for sure, all right? But, but here's the deal. We, we get to this place, and then he says, what, what is family? What is a healthy house? And I'm just going to read them to you in case you missed it. There are six things he defined as a, as a healthy home. And it says, first, unconditional love. Second was freedom with responsibility. And, and he defines these. Again, catch it on all of our media platforms, and you'll, you'll get it. Three was disagreeing without being disagreeable. Now, that's amazing. That's seeking understanding before seeking to be understood. That's actually listening more than you're talking. That's actually being, the Bible says, be interested in the lives of others. So you're actually communicating, hearing each other's needs so that you can help meet those needs in those love languages and whatever that looks like. And then four was expectation to be powerful. Five was selflessly living for others while stating your own needs. Now that was so good. And he touched on that. Like, like actually 
selflessly living for others while stating your own needs and in a covenant relationship, in a family relationship, in a friendship, a true friendship, your actual desire is to meet each other's needs. It's, it's to submit to one another and then expect that I'm also going to get value in return, but I'm not doing it for that. I'm not loving somebody. I'm not revealing the Father's love so I get something back. That's just a bonus. I'm not tithing so I get something back. That's a bonus. I'm, I'm doing this as a submitted heart to the Father to love his people well so that we can be the love of Christ. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. And if the things we're doing or not doing don't reveal hope of his glory, then we probably should adjust what we're doing or not doing. Let me, let me just say the sixth one is fun. And I remember clearly he said, but you're the one that gets to find fun. He said, listen, we don't, we don't like to go shopping. We don't like dinner and a movie. We like taking walks and going on hikes and staying at home. That, that's great. You get to define your fun. But I, there's one thing that sticks out. We'll probably touch more on this next week um, or actually in January when we launch every church. And, and it's like you don't come here because we all agree on every single little thing. Like that's not what we come here for. We don't come here to gather around doctrine. We come here to gather around his presence. We come here to gather around the love of God. We come here to gather around the love for each other because of God. Like, we, again, you may not agree with everything that's going on. You may not agree with every little thing and every little penny we invest the money in here. Like, like we lavishly um, bless the community and the school system. Last year, we threw a huge party and gave gift cards to every bus driver because we felt they get neglected sometimes. Like, these are things that we're doing and we're investing in. Well, you may have been like, well, you left out the custodians. All right, we plan on getting them this year, okay? So, like, you, you, do, you may not agree with everything at the moment, but the big picture is we love. The big picture is God is love. The big picture is Christ crucified, risen again, his gospel going forward so that people can welcome in eternity forever. Like, that's, we don't gather around the doctrine, although most of us would agree, like the major things we would all agree on. But I may see healing in a little bit different perspective than what you may be used to seeing healing. Now, my job is not to convince you that I'm right. My job is to stay steadfast to what God is putting into me and then hoping that we can just love each other through the process and maybe one of us will be changed by God. Like, it's like me. I, I had, we had an Uber driver who was a Muslim. And I just started telling him about Christmas and Jesus and unconditional love. And, and it, was, it was amazing because he had no grid for unconditional love. Because I, I started talking about Allah and, and he was talking about his child. He showed us pictures of his child and we showed him pictures of our four girls. And, and in this process, I wasn't trying to convince him and argue with him. I was literally just planting the seed for the love of Jesus, hoping a bigger door would open. So then what happened was I just began to love on him. And I began to talk about the unconditional love of the Father that our God has. And he starts talking about, oh, Allah, you know, we teach five prayers a day. And we teach these things to our son and those values. And I just said, yeah, but the unconditional love. When I had children, I understood the love of the Father. And he's like, oh. All of a sudden, you start seeing these light bulbs. I wasn't trying to argue with him. I wasn't trying to convince him to come to my side. I was strictly loving on him without an agenda, but just to love on him. Now, I, I do have an agenda <laughs> to reveal Christ to him, but it's through the loving way. So then it didn't really go anywhere, and I, and I didn't want to push because I know arguments like that usually turn very bad. So I got out, and, and we went up to our hotel room, and we began to pray for him. And we begin to pray that an Apollos would come and water that seed. 
Because ultimately we know that the word says that Paul planted Apollos water, but who grows it? God. So then we started praying supernatural dreams, encounters, angelic visitations. So anyway, I did a ton of minutes there uh, trying to summarize Josh's message last week. I have a message to speak, and it's kind of long, so I got to get into this. So anyways, listen to it. It's really good. But week two, um, Josh focused on John the Baptist, and, and he focused on the ecosystem in our homes and the environment of a home, all right? I'm going to continue that into the Christmas story, and I want to I really hone in on, he kind of did the big picture family, big picture house. I'm going to hone in on marriage, and relationships. I want to hone in on, on marriage. If you're married in here, that's fine. If you're not, your future spouse. Or, or if, if you have no agenda uh, to get married again, maybe widowed, divorced, whatever, um, like just relationships. Just hone in on this. Or maybe now you're the mom or the grandma to help pour into other marriages. And that might be some takeaways. So let's go to the story of Joseph of Mary. And I'm going to give you two different portrayals here. I want to focus on Joseph, then Mary, bridge it together, and then finish with another thing in the Old Testament. So Joseph, uh, let's go to Matthew 1, 18 through 25. I'm going to be reading from NLT today almost the entire time. Sometimes I squeeze in some New King James on you. So switch it up. But NLT, Matthew 1, 18 through 25. How many are excited for the snow, though? Like, like finally, like, okay, it's looking a little bit more like Christmas. Uh, my tissue boxes are gone. I'm going to grab this one. I saw one in the shared office, and I'm like, oh, they're gone. But all of them are gone. So Matthew 1 says this, Matthew 1.18 says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. He's, they're, they're repeating what the prophet from Isaiah, God with us. When Jesus, Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. All right, let's go to Mary's perspective here. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a village in Galilee to a virgin named Mary. She was, now this is going to be a lot of context. I'm going to read um, uh, Luke 1, 26 through 45 and then go into to 2. But it says this. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. 
Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. What she's saying here is, <clears throat> I'm trusting you, God. Like, this might disgrace me. And as you know, what would happen to a virgin in that custom, if she was found lying that she was a virgin, she could have been stoned. So she's saying, like, my reputation is on the line here, but God, I trust you. I, I trust what you're saying is true, so I'm your servant. Here I am. Do as you wish. So then a few days later, verse 39, a few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and explained to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Now, now this is amazing. There's so much depth in these scriptures. All right, talking about the Holy Spirit will fill you, and you'll be pregnant. Now he's saying, now here she's with Elizabeth. John the Baptist's mother, the baby leaped, just on a hug, the baby leaped, and now she knows without Mary saying a word yet, how can I be so blessed that you're pregnant with the Messiah and you're visiting me? It's so deep, but we can't touch on all of it today. And it says, when I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do that, what he said. Now here, last, last context here, 2, 1 through 7, Luke 2. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth. And now, now Nazareth to Bethlehem is about 100 miles, between an 8 and a 10-day journey. And we're, we're going to kind of focus on why that's important in a minute. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time had come for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him, in snugly, um, wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in the manger because there was no lodging available for them or no room for them at the end. Now listen, I, I just want to paint the picture and I, I want to just kind of just study why this is so special and how this pertains to marriage and how this pertains to a healthy marriage. So, so first off, we, we go to Joseph, and, and, and it's interesting. There's going to be a connection of presence here. And there's going to be a connection of, of the next story we go to to finish, to finish this up. But the first one is, so here's Joseph and Mary. Mary's a young girl. She's a virgin. Joseph and her are, are set to be married. In the Jewish, Jewish culture, when they got engaged, it was actually a formal occasion with friends and family there. It was similar to our marriage today. Then the covenant of marriage was actually formed when they had sexual intercourse. So, so here's what happened. The engagement was like a formal wedding, and then the marriage was actually when they had intercourse. So, so here what's happening is, now Gabriel shows up, all right, and, and an angel shows up to Joseph, and, and what's happening is he's communicating. So 
here's, here's how this pertains to marriage. What special connection they must have had that they could sustain this in their relationship to continue to get married. And what trust they must have had in the Lord for what was happening. Now listen, I don't know if anybody can fathom, but my, my fiancé is now pregnant. My fiancé is big and pregnant, and we haven't had intercourse. So how did this happen? So all of a sudden, as he's beginning to doubt this, and, and he's such a respectable man, full of integrity and righteousness, he says he's going to divorce her or separate from her secretly so that she's not publicly disgraced. First off, that talks about a, lot, a lot about the man's character. It talks about that his love for her was greater, that he's willing to leave her and then let her live a life from this mistake, but do it secretly so that she wasn't stoned. Now, now here's the other thing. What emotional connection did they have that the Messiah, that God, the Father, would trust them with this? And, and here's, here's what I'm getting at. God is more concerned even with us in our intimacy than he is with the physical blessings. Now, now listen, they, they had intimacy. They had this emotional connection before they ever had the physical connection. And I believe that's what God is, is communicating through this story and through our, our spouses and through marriage is, is it, what matters most is the emotional connection, the heart connection, the love, the intimacy, that we can actually sit down and share everything, that we can communicate openly our needs and that our desire for each other is to meet those needs. Now imagine this, this, the health of this couple to sustain this. Then they go on this eight to 10 day journey all right, a hundred miles on foot with a large pregnant woman. Now, now I, I've had a, a large pregnant woman four times, okay? She's not in here right now, so I can just say whatever I want, all right? She listens typically to the 11 a.m. So, so anyway, no, I understand that at the end of this pregnancy, how sore she was and her feet were swelling and how uncomfortable she was. Then to go on this journey, and, and how irritable she may have been, may have been, four times. First trimester and third trimester each time. First was the hormonal changes. Then second trimester, you kind of set in, you kind of get used to it, you're adjusted. Then third trimester, it's the physical changes, and that's where the pain and the soreness and the stretching and all that, the conditioning of the pelvis starts to happen. And, and here's, here's what's happening. Then they go on this journey, and they actually grow closer together. They, now, Joseph at any time could have doubted this. At any time could have been like, no, nah, no, nah, I don't believe it. But not one context in any of the Gospels talk about where he doubted it or changed his mind once he trusted the Lord and trusted his fiance. Now, now here's, here's what I'm getting at here. What does it look like for us to be a church that trusts the Lord so much in every area of our life that it actually strengthens our relationship and intimacy with him and our spouse. What does that look like in every area of our finances, every area of our direction of our life, our career, all these things? What does it look like to be entrusted so much to the Lord with what's happening that we actually grow closer together and it doesn't lead to stress because our bank account's empty? It doesn't lead to stress when, when this thing happens or this circumstance happens. You know, we're, we're dealing with a tragic death in the church right now. And there's a viewing tonight, and we're going to pray at the end of service for, for Matt and Amy and, and the family, and Judah especially. But, like, 
What does it look like that no matter what circumstances we go through, we trust the Lord so much in it and we don't change our viewpoint that he's good no matter what? What does it look like that our circumstances and our trials and those things don't change how we view God in that it doesn't change his integrity or his goodness? It's amazing. But the emotional connection they must have had, how they communicated, how they shared. I, I would have loved to have been there to witness on that eight to ten day journey what it was like when he's comparing his notes to her notes. And well, the angel said this to me. Well, the angel said this to me. How neat that would have been. So then let's, let's, let's go here. I've said many times that God desires intimacy more than he desires our goosebumps. I, I, I love the supernatural. I, I believe in prophecy. I believe in the manifestations, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I believe in it all. I believe in healing. I believe in, in, in anything that the Bible says. I believe in it. And I believe it's for today. It wasn't just for Jesus' time. It wasn't just for the apostles. I believe that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe in those encounters that actually manifest in such a way that they change you forever. I believe in those encounters where it feels like electricity coming through my body or, or there's such love that I can't even contain it and I can't help but just weep. I, 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 I long for those encounters. But what happens when the goosebumps are gone? What happens when, when I'm not experiencing that healing? What happens when that person wasn't healed and they passed away? What, what happens when, when the circumstance or the thing or that issue doesn't work out the way we intended it to work out? What happens? We rest in the intimacy with the Father knowing that he's still good. And I'll be honest with you, what I do next in those circumstances is I just worship. That's it. That's my answer. What happens when we prayed for Kent's leukemia to be totally healed and then he dies within 13 days? I, what happens? I rest in the goodness of God and I worship him. It doesn't mean I can explain everything. It doesn't mean I'm happy with that outcome. It doesn't mean that that's okay with me. But there's something that rises up inside of me that I still know that God's good. And there's something within me that no matter what I'm seeing on the outside, no matter what I'm seeing on the surface, I rest that God's good. And here's the other thing that rises up in me. The lamb is, is worshiping, but the lion's wanting to go after cancer even more now than I ever have. Well, Matt sent me a text that Kent passed away this week. And if you don't know Kent, he, in the last couple years, he missed one Sunday because he was traveling. One Sunday. And he would brag about it to everybody. And he sat right there, and, and it's a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story of a, the miraculous and the, the nature of God. How there were strained relationships in the family, and, and Amy didn't have that, that incredible relationship with the father that she desired. Didn't know his walk with the Lord necessarily. All of a sudden, he comes in, he gets saved, and, and, and the relationships are totally restored to the point where he's sitting in the same row with his ex-wife and her husband, Jay and Linda. It's this beautiful story here that's been going on the last couple of years. It's just amazing. And then every single baptism we had, Kent was the one that set up the baptismal. So when I get this phone call, this text, I call Amy to comfort her. I just start bawling. Then I call Nicole. And I'll be honest, I have no idea. I was close to Kent, valued him incredibly, love him. But I don't know if it's just the heart of a father here, a shepherd, 
or I was just so disappointed that God didn't heal or so mad that the devil continues with his stupid cancer. I really don't know those emotions still. And it's okay. I'm working that out with God. But there's something that rises up in me as the nature of the lamb that I just want to worship. So I got off the phone with Nicole and I just worshiped. God, you're good. God, I can't explain this. I don't know why this is happening again. But you're good. I don't know why you took Christy's husband. I don't know why the enemy did that and he crashed the car leaving church here two years ago. And now it changed the course of her history and their son's history and our church's history. I don't know why this is happening. My mom died of cancer, pastor of the church, you know. I don't know. But I know this. There's something that rises up in me to trust the Lord. That when these circumstances are happening and that I trust the Lord and I just submit and I, I worship him. And then there's something at the line that I just want to just go after. I want to go after marriage. I want to go after death and raising the dead. I want to go after cancer and sending it back to hell where it belongs. I, that, that's what rises up in me. So to imagine what Joseph and Mary went through here, that what would have may have risen up is, listen, no, I trust the Lord that he sent the messenger. He sent the angel here. So now we are connected and now we're choosing instead of distancing ourselves, now I'm communicating to Nicole. She was my second phone call. Like this is what I'm feeling right now. I don't know why I'm feeling this, but this is what I'm feeling. All right, let's pray together. Like that's connection. I'm sure Mary and Joseph went through that on that journey. So then let's, let's go to 2 Samuel 6, 9 through 12, tying this in. And I'm getting ready to wrap this up. 2 Samuel 6, 9 through 12. What's happening is they're taking the, the tabernacle, they're journeying with it, they're going on this journey, right? Usa was just killed basically because he was irreverent to the Ark of the Covenant. So God strikes him dead because he was irreverent, all right? So now David needed to, to place the ark. David was, was honestly full of fear, probably in the way of the all of God, but I would imagine too, just a little bit of probably like righteous fear, like, oh gosh, this dude just died because he raised his hand and just, just was a bit irreverent to the ark of the covenant. What's next? Man, what, what is the value that God has on this presence? So I, I want you to, to know one thing. That the Ark of the Covenant represents presence. And I want you to know that Emmanuel, God with us, is also another way of saying presence. So God gave these strict instructions to Mary and Joseph about how to steward his presence. How to steward this pregnancy. What to do. What to call him and why. What to name Jesus the Messiah. Emmanuel, God with us. You're going to call him Jesus, Savior of the world. So then he also gave these strict instructions to David and then Solomon. You know, it continued on through the Ark of the Covenant and the value of presence. So Uso was, was struck dead. So then David needs to find this place to, to, to put the Ark of the Covenant. So Obed-Edom was actually a Levite. And they were part of the tribe that were the gatekeepers for the tent of the holy place. So David goes to Obed-Edom, and, and here's the context for it. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, How can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. 
The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of the covenant of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. What would it look like if we valued God's presence in such a way that we just steward it for three months? Three months we go after God's presence more than we're going after a career, more than we're going after a new house, more than we're going after favor in a community or favor in our family or favor to our friends. What if we valued presence more than the fear of man? What if we valued and we actually hosted his presence just for three months in our entire household and our descendants are blessed forever because of it? Listen, what does it look like when Mary and Joseph valued the presence and the instructions of God and it brought them closer together in their marriage? And what does it look like for Obed-Edom to be entrusted with the Ark of the Covenant, his presence, for three months he stewarded it and his entire household was blessed? What does it look like that our identity comes more in our house of being a man after God's own presence than it does being a man after God's ministry? What does it look like if we actually love his presence more than we even love our spouse? What does it look like if we love his presence more than we love that title or that thing or that new thing coming out or the, the chaos in our life or the busyness? What does it look like if we love his presence more than our hobbies? I'm just saying, and I'm not condemning anybody. This was a message for me. When I, Jake Hamilton referenced this one time here just a few months ago. And when I tied these stories together in every house, what does it look like? And, and we're going to go after this on our last week on December 31st, whole house salvation. What does it look like if we host God's presence and we emphasize worship in such a way that just for three months, look what it did for his entire household? What does it look like if we worship for night and day? What does it look like if we wake up praising him? If we just dedicate our whole day to in his word, in his prayers, in, in communication with him, whatever that might look like. What does it look like just to seek him for maybe the first 21 days of the year in Pursuit 21? What is the outcome of that? I believe God values his presence in such a way that he pours out his blessings and nothing can be withheld from him, those who are seeking him. Nothing. The band can come. We're going to pray after some things here. Listen. What if just three months we value his presence in such a way that it changes our entire family tree. What if just for three months we put his presence above all else and it changes the very path of our kids, our grandkids? Listen, that, that's called the supernatural. When, when we actually have a grandma or a mom praying for us in such a way that they, you don't have to say anything to your children and then all of a sudden they just start coming to church and they surrender their life to Jesus. Listen, this is, this is what I'm talking about. When I was... In high school, I, I got really good at football, got really popular, and um, just started partying a lot. And I was around cocaine, and I was around um, people doing shrooms and acid and obviously marijuana and, and different things and harder things. And for whatever reason, at the time I had no idea, and up to just a while ago, I didn't touch that stuff. Now, I touched a lot of alcohol. But... I'm this type of personality that when I go all in for something, like, it's over. I'm, I'm all in. I'm passionate about whatever it is I'm going to do. 
And for whatever reason, I could never explain why I never touched those drugs. I had nothing against them. I actually thought it was fun, like seeing my friends kind of get zoned out and, and, and watching all this. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I was, I was making bongs for them. I was making bowls for them. I was doing this stuff. I was cutting the lines for the cocaine. And I never, I never once did it. The only good explanation I have for that is that I had a mom and a dad and some grandparents that were praying for me. I had somebody who was willing to host his presence for an entire family tree and a legacy. Listen, my mom and dad started up this church so that our, the kids, us four kids, would actually come back to Jesus. At that time, Cheryl was really the only one, the one that led worship here, Cheryl was really the only one pursuing Jesus and then having a, a solid relationship with her. Matt, Leah, and I, we all had our own journeys. We all had our own things going on. But I'll be honest with you. My parents and their sacrifice to pursue God's presence and to open up a church called Upper Room so that maybe, just maybe, my kids will also come back to the Lord. Now, entire communities and even now nations get the benefit from my mom and dad hosting his presence. And I'm proud to say that each one of my siblings now, I get the lead in leadership of this church. Each one of us and each one of our spouses are saved, sold out to Jesus, serving him, loving him so well, and loving others in our path well. Because somebody, my mom and dad, my grandma and grandpa, were willing to host his presence and actually pursue God and follow his direction. Won't you stand with me? This was a call, really. As I was just praying in the God for this series a couple months ago. Just praying, asking God, like, what, what do you want it to look like? I just feel he's saying right now, he wants it to look like heaven. He wants every table to look like heaven. He wants every opportunity at a dinner table, at a coffee table, to look like heaven. And he wants every house to look like heaven. He wants every marriage right here today every relationship to look like heaven. He wants every church to look like heaven. And he wants every community and every nation to look like heaven. What I value about all these scenarios is they all look different, but he wants them all to look like heaven, just like you. Each one of us look different. We have a very diverse church. I'm looking around right now. Not at the moment, but the 11 a.m. is very diverse. And. And what's interesting is, like, we all look different. We all carry a different thing. Just like every marriage in here, you all look different. It all looks totally different. Some of you may have a call to, to bring people out of debt, and that's your ministry. Some of you may have a call to bring marriages to health. Some of you may have a call to see healing. Or like Micah and Meredith, their call, they have a ministry, and they, it's their evangelists. They want to see Springfield saved. They want to see people come to know Jesus. They want to see gospel crusades. Like, that, that's their call. And every marriage looks different. Every house looks different. Every, every couple looks different. But God's desire for each one of us is that heaven can actually resemble what our marriage is. Our marriage can resemble what heaven is. Let, let me put that in context before I pray for marriages. I believe that when God put Adam and Eve in the garden, 
It was the prototype. It was the example for what marriages were intended. Like God blessed marriage between a man and a woman. All right, he blessed this. And, and that, that was his, his desire that a man and a woman would fall so in love that they, that they only can experience glory. They can only experience goodness. They can only experience paradise on earth. But then the enemy had this other plan to, to pervert that and bring shame to that, bring sin to that. Listen, that wasn't God's intention. That was the enemy's intention. So then what happens is we, we go around thinking that that's okay as long as we don't fall into the statistic of divorce or as long as we're surviving. No, like God wants you to thrive, not just survive. God wants heaven. Like he has gifted us with this relationship on earth. It is the best relationship that can resemble he is the groom and his people is the bride. And now we get this blessing to actually steward on earth to bring it back to Eden, to, to host heaven in our marriage. And, and I'm not saying we're always there. Like Nicole and I had a rough patch about a week and a half ago. <laughs> and my kids are like, they just learned in school about divorce. And the doggone book my daughter read said that when a, when a married couple fights a lot, then they get divorced and they can get remarried. No, that's not what divorce is. Let me, let me tell you what it really is. Let me, let me tell you what the Bible says about it. So then Nicole and I are, are like having a passionate conversation with each other. And now, because of the talk at the dinner table about the book my daughter read, our passionate conversation led them to think that now we're getting divorced because we're disagreeing. No, actually, us disagreeing is building a connection in us because we're learning each other and we're valuing how each other sees that differently and now we're loving each other deeper. All right, that's, that's really, it may not look like that at first. <laughs> and my kids certainly didn't think it looked like that. But then we sat him down the next, I called, I went into each of their rooms and I apologized and, and I was raising my voice and I, I apologized to Nicole and I woke them each up and I said, I'm so sorry you had to fall asleep like that. And then the next morning, I call them on the phone as I'm at work, and, and they were uh, on their way to school, and I was at the fire department. Hey, I want to explain this to you. And then that night, we worshiped, and we prayed, and I explained to them, like, listen, just because mommy and daddy disagree doesn't mean we're getting divorced. That's not how it should look, and I, and I get that. But you guys also throw fits and yell, and, and we love you still. So... But God's desire in marriages is that you grow closer together even in your disagreements. That you actually grow closer together and you, re you reveal heaven to people around you. Like we have this opportunity that Christ in our marriage is also the hope of glory. Like we have that opportunity. So I just want to pray for marriages. And, and that's, I would love if your spouse is here, I'd love for you to just wrap them up and hug them or hold their hand. And then we're going to pray for a couple other things here. But we're going to pray for marriage right now. So, so I don't know what that looks like. Maybe each of you already have a marriage that resembles heaven. Maybe you don't. Maybe, maybe it's troubled. No matter where it is, it can always get better. No matter where it is, God can always pour out more glory in it, right? No matter how good I am, no matter how good my marriage is, it can always get better because I'm comparing it to the heavenly realm. It keeps me humble and hungry for more. So God, right now we bless marriages in the name of Jesus. I, breath, I bless, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> we bless marriages in the name of Jesus. The heavenly realm, God, 
the Eden realm, God, that there'll be continual honeymoons, that there'll be continual love, God, there'll be continual uh, just, just in awe of each other, looking in each other's eyes, seeing how God sees you, seeing how God created each other, seeing the beauty in each other while submitting to one another's needs, God. God, I just pray there'll be a submission as, as the wives submit to husbands, God, as the church submits to you, but God, I pray that there'll be husbands in here that will treat their wives like you treat the church, God. Unconditional love, unconditional grace and mercy, a covering, a blanket of freedom, God. And we pray for beautiful marriages. We just ask that you bless every marriage in here. In the name of Jesus, we pray for intimacy and physical fulfillment. Intimacy, emotional connection, heart connection, and physical connection. God, above all else, we pray for a spiritual connection. That we can serve God. We can serve you together, Lord. That we can grow closer to you and closer to each other. God, we pray for anybody in here that's widowed or divorced. We pray healing there. We pray on those lonely nights. We pray, God, that, uh, that if there's abandonment, if there was abuse there, or, or any just a, a heart longing for friendship or companionship, God, I pray that you just be that person. You be that fulfillment. Above all else, God, you meet the needs of this house, these people, these marriages. God, I pray for future marriages. Pray for future marriages. God, if there's people in here that aren't yet married, we pray for their spouse as you perfect them in your image and as you raise them up. We pray for each of our children and their spouses right now. No matter how old or young, even if the children aren't born yet, we pray for future spouses and future marriages that will resemble you. In the name of Jesus, amen. I, I'm just going to be really vulnerable and open with you right now, all right, because we're adults, and if you're not an adult, I hope your parents have had some conversations with you. Um, every time I go to pray for marriages and I try to say bless, I end up saying, and we breast marriages right now. So I'm just saying that God, <laughs> I'm just going there, all right? I'm just, I'm just going to talk about the elephant in the room. God created sex to be really amazing between a man and a woman who are married, all right? So I bless you with good physical intimacy as well, all right? The story of Joseph and Mary said they didn't have sexual relations until after Jesus was born. But then they had a normal marriage. What that, what that meant was that then they did have sexual relations and then they did have a marriage on earth. All right? So I bless you with that as well. Okay? All right. In the name of Jesus, we love you. But can we do 